we are going to go through something that I want to share with you that God kind of laid on my heart, um, and hopefully it will do you some good. If not, then you're just going to listen to something that has done me good uh, since uh, recently doing it. Uh, I just feel that God gave it for me, but there's sometimes he gives me something that I believe is more than for myself. And uh, we're going to read a couple verses here as we are going to talk about a prayer for the mind. A prayer for the mind. That is our lesson here tonight. Reading four verses here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 uh, says this. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Everyone say heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. If you've been here for any duration of time, you know I've preached from this, taught from this numerous times. It's a very near, dear portion of Scripture when I talk about the heart and the mind, especially when I teach and preach on media. It is our responsibility. Uh, we are, we're not called to be reckless or careless with our emotions, but to be diligent. And we are emotional creatures. And the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah 17 that, you know, our heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? This heart is very emotional. This heart is very crazy. And we're not called to be reckless or careless with this heart. We are called to be diligent with it because stemming from this heart are all the issues of life. And so we need to take responsibility or there will be some vulnerability. We are vulnerable for what we are not responsible for. But if we take responsibility, it will help set those vulnerable moments aside and we will be equipped or better equipped for whatever fight comes our way. Proverbs 23, 7 uh, says this, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so when the Bible discusses the heart, it is frequently connected to the mind or it is insinuating the mind they're they're closely connected the heart and the mind it's not talking about the organs obviously it's talking about basically the emotional and the thoughts of a person and so the bible says as we think in our heart so we are matthew 9 4 goes on to say jesus knowing their thoughts and so jesus knows the thoughts of of our heart, just like when we read in the Old Testament, you know, going back to Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, that you know, it's talking about Jehovah, Father. He he tries the hearts. Well, we see in the New Testament, Jesus is that God. He is that Lord that knows our hearts, the emotional and the thoughts of it. And here's what he says. He says, wherefore, think ye evil in your hearts. And so. Jesus knows the thoughts of our hearts and that evil can be conceived within the heart and in the mind. So as Jesus is addressing their minds and their thoughts, he knows them. He says, I just want you to understand that there can be evil within the man, within the heart, within the emotion, within the thoughts. It is there. Goes on here in Luke 24 and 38. Jesus says unto them. Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? And so the trouble came from the emotions produced from their thinking. And so anytime we find ourselves in trouble or maybe uh, not making the right decisions because of the emotional state we are in, it has come from the thought world, the thoughts and the emotions closely connected together. And so he asks a question, why are you allowing these thoughts to arise in your hearts? And we need to ask that question about ourselves. Why are we letting thoughts rise and increase in our lives that ought not to be rising, that ought not to be increasing? Doesn't mean that we won't have a thought here and there, but why are we allowing them to grow? And that's where we got to be diligent concerning our heart. We got to be diligent how we think in our heart, what we do with our emotions. And so tonight I share with you just a I prayed a prayer uh, that I never prayed before. And as I prayed, it just began to flow. 
It was just like God filled my mouth with words. And um, and I'm going to just show you from the get-go what it is, and you can jot it down as I talk a little bit here. And we're going to go through this. Uh, a prayer that if you would like to pray for the mind, and if this was Sesame Street today, it would be sponsored by the letter C. And uh, so... I don't know why it is, but just sometimes God helps me to uh, frame words, sermons, thoughts, prayers through alliteration or through rhyming and jingles. It's just God is so gracious and kind to work with my my mentality. But as I begin to pray, literally, these these words just begin to fill my mouth that I never prayed before. I never thought before. And there was just something that resonated in my spirit. And I'm going to read through this outline here. Then we're going to go through verses connected to each one of these prayers that you can pray for your mind. And the first part of the prayer is, God, drive back the thoughts that cloud my thinking. God, drive back the thoughts that condemn my mind. And God, drive back the thoughts that consume my head. These are basically things that invade our mind that we don't want to have there, but they continually, almost like a blitzkrieg. They just, it's an onslaught that comes at you. Now, maybe none of these are things that ever happened to you, but in times I've visited with a number of you, talked with a number of you, it seems that we could probably relate to some of these moments in our frame of mind that I have clouded thinking. I have condemning thoughts. I have thoughts that consume my mind and they seem to be the prevailing thought of the day and I don't want them to be the prevailing thought of the day. And so we ought not to be reckless and let those thoughts arise and grow and increase. We should address them and say, God, you are in control. You're on the throne. I am your child. I believe you love me. So as I am your child, you are my heavenly father. I am asking, I am petitioning you, God, that you would drive back these thoughts that give me clouded thinking. God, drive back these thoughts that condemn my mind and drive back these thoughts that are consuming in my head. But in place of that, as God begins to drive them out, it's important that we pray that God would replace or release something instead of those. And I began to pray this and pen this, that God, release thoughts with clarity of mind. I'm tired of clouded thinking. I want clear thinking. And God, I'm tired of condemning thoughts. I want not condemnation. I want conviction to be in my mind. I want me to have a conviction in how I live. God, release a calm demeanor. I don't want to have this emotion that consumes me that basically just escalates my emotion. I want there to be a calmness in my mind. And so I want us to begin here as we go with this first thought here, this first prayer to pray that God would drive back the thoughts that cloud my thinking. And so if you're taking notes and you like to outline it, that's the first part we're talking about here. Thoughts that cloud my thinking, praying Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three and four, as we say and pray, God, drive back the thoughts that cloud my thinking. These two verses come to mind. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You and I, we are commissioned to reach this world. But hijack thinking prevents effective reaching. When you have a clouded mind. It's hard to be effective. It's hard to operate with pointed precision when you have, basically, if you're a sniper and you got a target and all of a sudden a cloud moves in, it's hard to reach the target, to see the target when you have a big haze in front of you. And so clouded thinking can hide the gospel. And none of us want to hide the gospel from the lost. But if my mind is clouded, it's hard for me to clearly think and reach the lost, though I may be saved and my cloud, may be thinking somebody beyond it, my cloud of thinking still is lost. And that's why I don't want to remain in cloud of thinking because I could almost feel lost 
though I've been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, in that fog, in that confusion, I can begin to feel lost because I don't know where I'm navigating. I don't know where my current geographical standing is. So God drive back those clouded thoughts. The next verse in verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world, the enemy, the devil, he has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That word blinded, and we talked about this before some time back, not too long ago, that the word blinded means to obscure. And it, it, it stems from the word to envelop with smoke, like, like if you are on like a SWAT team and you want to thwart the enemy, you would throw a smoke screen into a room, and then you would charge in. And whatever person that was in the room with the cloud, I thought they are caught off guard, and they they can't see clearly. It's difficult for them. And that's what the word blinded means. That's what the God of this world does. He envelops your mind with a fog, with clouded thinking. You cannot see clearly. You cannot think clearly. And the devil is free to work. In a clouded mind. So the best way to combat that smoke is to get the wind of heaven moving. To get the spirit of God moving. And so I present to you, if you find yourself either losing train of thought or in place of focus, you're in a fog. Begin to pray this prayer. And even if you're not in a fog, why not just preventively pray this prayer? God I pray that you drive back this clouded thinking. I refuse to have clouded thinking. I refuse to live each day in a fog and in a haze. The next part of the prayer is God drive back the thoughts that condemn my heart. John chapter 8 and verse 11, Jesus said uh, to the woman that, the, that was caught in adultery and they're trying to get her to be stoned to death, and Jesus convicts the uh, the accusers, and they leave one by one. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Do they condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus does not condemn. Now, he may correct, but he does not condemn. Jesus loves us enough to correct us. But a loving God does not condemn us. A loving God corrects us. He's doing everything he can to correct us before we find ourselves eternally condemned. That's God's mission, to seek and to save that which is lost. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so the devil hates when you and I were baptized, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we're living a, a right life. The devil hates when you're living right, so he will attack the mind so you are not thinking right. You might be living right, but if he can get you not thinking right, then the condemnation can begin to flood into your mind. And though you're living right, you feel condemned. And that is not of God. God does not condemn. This is where 1 John 3, 20 through 22 is very important. For if our heart condemns us, if you emotionally feel condemned, realize God is greater than your emotion and your heart, and he knows all things. Knowledge is not about emotion. Knowledge is fact. And the fact is, if a child of God is living right, they should not gauge their standing with God based upon how their heart feels. Knowledge simply is fact. And so God's objective and goal is for us to mature in our thinking and to come and rise above our emotional state. And this is verse 21. If we can get to the place where our heart condemns us not, then we can have confidence towards God. But if you pray with condemnation, if you try to live in your day with condemnation, you don't have confidence in your walk with God and you don't have confidence when you pray to that God. But if condemnation is the prevailing emotion, then your faith is robbed. Your prayer can be robbed. Your confidence can be robbed. And so if we can grow, we come to verse 22. So whatsoever we ask, if our heart doesn't condemn us and we have confidence towards God, we can ask God 
and we can receive of him with this understanding. I am keeping his commandments and I'm doing those things pleasing in his sight. Now, if we are living right and doing right, it's more important than just feeling right. You have to, this is where having a knowledge of God's word is going to help you. I know I'm living right. I know I'm doing right. And even though this feeling of condemnation is here, I know that I have not sinned. I have not rebelled against God. That's not arrogance. It's a persuasion of knowing where you are at with God and knowing what the word of God says. And then you pray, God, drive back this thought that would condemn my mind. Because I know you, when you forgave me, you said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I know that I'm walking in the flesh, not fulfilling the, uh, not walking in the flesh, and I'm, you know, doing the will of God, walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That means there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So God, drive back that condemnation because I refuse to have that in my mind. Here in these, these verses of 1 John 3, 20 through 22, the word heart, when you look it into the language of the Greek, it, it means the thoughts, the feelings, the mind. It means the middle, the core of who you are. It's the middle of your person. It's the center of your emotion. It's the center of who you are. And so if your thoughts, your heart, your feeling, your heart, is condemned at the center of your emotions and who you are. It's hard to function properly when the center, the core of who you are feels condemned. And so we got to pray, God, I drive back that condemning thought that is in my mind. The word condemn here means against. It means to find fault with and to blame. And so when you have the condemnation, you feel like you're against God and you feel even worse than that. You feel God is against you, even though you are for God, you love God. A condemning thought makes you feel that God is against you. And that is a helpless place to be like, I love God, but he's against me. I love God, but he must be mad at me. I love God, but I, I think I think he's upset with me. I love God and I want to pray this, but I, I don't, I'm not deserving of it. There's, he's against me and he's found fault with me. And it's blame, blame, blame. It's fault, fault, fault. That is a condemning spirit, a condemning thought that enters into the mind. But God is helping us to understand we pray against thoughts that condemn. And if you are living right, start praying right. Refuse and reject those thoughts that are contrary to how you're living so they don't affect how you're thinking. I'll say that again. Refuse and reject those thoughts that are contrary to how you're living so they don't affect how you're thinking. Because if it can affect how you're thinking, it ultimately will play out in how you're living. So I pray in the name of Jesus. God, drive back the thoughts that condemn. I forbid those thoughts. God, set angels at the post of my mind. God, set angels at the post of my heart. And do not permit entrance of condemnation to enter into my heart. Because I'm living right. And God, I want to be thinking right. Because I don't want to be thinking wrong that's going to cause me to be living wrong. God, put your angels at the doorposts of my heart and my mind. Someone say amen. The next part of it, God, drive back the thoughts that consume my head. It basically is what is constantly in my mind, constantly in my thought, constantly in my psyche. Second Samuel 13, 1 and 2, a few verses we're going to read here. This is a story of David and Absalom his, um, and, and Amnon. And so the Bible says that Absalom, the son of David, he had a fair sister, very beautiful. Her name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And the Bible says that this, this son Amnon, that he was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. This is twisted. This is perversion. And the Bible says Amnon thought 
it hard for him to do anything to her. Now, this is how powerful the thought, the mind is. That the thought world is so powerful that affects the physical world. When you look in other translations and just say the New Living Translations, for example, it, it, it says that he literally became so obsessed with her in his thinking that he became physically ill. Your mind is that powerful that you can be so obsessed with something, so focused on something, so enamored with something, so consumed with something that it will affect your health. It will affect your physical condition. And Amnon got sick. Now, I know in a little bit when you play out and read out the story, he he pretends to be sick. But before he had to pretend, he really got to that point. That's what the scripture says. He got so consumed with her in thought that he fell ill with her. And so a consumed mind is a captive mind. When it is something that is so enamored and so obsessed with something, it is it is imprisoned. A consumed mind is a captive mind. Another portion of scripture, Genesis 6, 5 says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination, every thought of his heart was only evil continually. It was the condition in that day. And basically the, the, the constant corrupt thinking produced corrupt living when they're their prevailing thought and emotion and what consumed their mind was corrupt. They live corrupt. The imagination of their minds and their hearts was fixated and consumed with perversion and that which was against God. And so it populated the earth with corruption. We go here to the book of Esther, chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Brother Miller, a few weeks ago, he did a great job explaining uh, this portion of Scripture about how sad it was to see a man obsessed and consumed with something and missing all the good things in his life. And Haman goes forth that day joyful. So here's a man full of joy, a man glad heart. And we're talking about the mind. We're talking about the heart. He's got a positive side of emotion going through him. But the moment Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, he stood not up. He didn't move for him. All of a sudden, he was instead of being joyful, he is full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman, he refrains himself, and he comes home, and he calls for his friends, his wife. And then he begins to basically boast in the glory of his riches, uh, how big his family is. And having finances, that's cool. Having a big family, that's cool. And, and having a promotion from the king, that's pretty awesome. And being advanced above all your peers that are around the king, that's pretty awesome. He's got a lot of good things going for him. And not only that, but, you know, he's, he's rejoicing the fact that now he's been invited by the queen and him alone. But he comes to this conclusion in verse 13. All of these great positive things filling my life, it profits me it avails me it benefits me nothing as long as i see that one single jew named mordecai sitting in the king's gate and not cowering at my presence not bowing before me not giving me obeisance none of this profits me i have a big beautiful family but big deal i don't have this jew cowering before me i've been promoted above all my peers but La-di-da, I don't have this one Jew bowing. This is insane. But how often does that happen to us on a different scale in our lives? You got a beautiful spouse. You got beautiful children. You got a wonderful home. You got surrounding by wonderful peers. All these benefits. But one thing that can obsess in your mind and consume your mind And you don't think about your children. You don't think about your spouse. You don't think about your financial provision and blessing. You're fixated on this one thing that is consuming you. Uh, Basically, what obsesses you possesses you. Another way to put it is what is obsessing you will soon be possessing you. And the thought world opens up to the spirit world. 
This man, if he would not let the thought world become obsessive to him, he would not have opened up to this avenue of the spirit world and fought the wrong battle. He fought the wrong. You don't want to fight the wrong battle. He found himself fighting against God. He found himself fighting against God's people because there's sinners that could almost seemingly uh, live their whole life without what can appear to be a battle. You know, you read it in Psalm 73 and other Psalms as well about the wicked prospering, growing and prevailing and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, they have the reward in the eternal. So you can live a wicked life pretty all right if you don't fight the wrong battle that that you would end up losing. And when you find yourself fighting against God, you and I will lose. And if your mind opens to it, then a spirit can fill it. And we got to be careful what we open our minds to, to obsess our thought, to consume our thought, to agitate our thought, to be the prevailing thought, because the spirit world is an observer. It will watch whatever it is that takes something that is immaterial or intangible and uh, be indifferent where it's neutral. It's not, it's not holy. It's not unholy. It's just this singular neutral thought. But if it becomes the obsession, the devil will tag himself to it and he will use it against us because the Bible says nothing in of itself is evil. But the, the devil, the adversary will see what the obsession is and he'll attach himself to it. And we open ourselves to a world of hurt. Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 15 for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. What an awesome call we have. God is liberated. He who the son has set free is free. Indeed. God has saved us. God has liberated us. God has given us grace. And he says, but be careful with your liberty. Don't let there be an occasion to the flesh by love. Serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself. And he goes on to say in verse 15 that if we bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. What a shame to have liberty only to end up in captivity. The story of Haman and Mordecai. Haman had all these liberties, but one person became his captivity because it was in his thought constantly. And when that happened, it ended up becoming his demise, his destruction. His goal was to consume Mordecai. The thought that consumed him was, I'm going to consume Mordecai. And what led to that pathway ended up ultimately consuming him, literally destroying him. As he, you know, the, you know, the King James says he was hung. But when you look into the word and the language, it literally means he was impaled on a pole. Basically like a skewer, like a little shrimp on the on the barbecue skewer. They, that, that, is, that was his finishing. What was it, 75 feet in the air? A 75-foot skewer. Was it, was it 75? That's the number. It's 75. It's pretty high. It's pretty high. That's higher than this ceiling. This is a 40-foot ceiling. Haman impaled almost twice as high as this ceiling for all to see. Because he was consumed with one thing. And it consumed him. And so wicked thoughts that consume a person have an insatiable appetite to consume others. And so we got to be careful when, when somebody becomes our fixated thought with the wrong emotion of revenge or I'll get back to them or I'll show them or whatever. That is a dangerous place to be. But these following prayers that I want to mention here, we just talked about the thoughts that we would like to have driven back. But I want now to talk about the thoughts that I want God to release. I don't want him just to drive something out. I want him to release something inside of me. You know, the Bible, I believe it's either the book of Luke chapter 12 or Matthew chapter 12. It talks about when a spirit goes out of a man, it wanders through dry places, seeks rest and finds none. And he will return where he came from. And if he can find where he was removed and see that it wasn't replaced, he'll go right back in and there'll be more room for more wicked spirits. And so I don't want to just drive out a thought in my life. I want to replace the thought. I want to replace that spirit with the right spirit. And so these following prayers are the antithesis 
of what the enemy invades our minds with. And so the first combative prayer, if you will, or replacing prayer, releasing prayer, is God release thoughts with clarity. I want to have a clear mind. I want to have clear thoughts. I want clarity to be a part of my mind. And this verse, man, when I, when, I, when, I, when I read this, and I feel the Holy Ghost, and I haven't even read it out loud right now, but just looking at this verse, it is powerful. I would encourage you maybe to jot it down if it, could, if it resonates in your spirit. But it says, He shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after the rain. Whew. That is awesome. That is powerful. Pray for the winds of heaven to drive back the clouds and the light of God to shine forth. Uh, as it says in Second Samuel 23 in verse 4, a day without clouds. It, it, there's, there's, there's a couple things that bother me about South Dakota. One of them, yes, is how cold it gets, though we have been graced by the sweet mercies of the Lord this year with uh, global warming in South Dakota, and I appreciate it so very much. But aside from the cold, I hate the constant wind that can pierce through your coat and pierce through your home. But even almost worse than those two things to me is basically the low-hanging clouds that basically engulf the sun and rob you of sunshine in your day. I hate cloudy days. I hate going a day without the sun piercing through that canopy above our heads. And so when I read 2 Samuel 23, verse 4, and it says, God be the light of the morning, like that sun rising, even a morning without clouds as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain, a clear shining that yields new growth where you may have not seen growth in a while. If that cloud can be driven back and there is a clear day and the sun shines forth, there can be a new grass. There can be new growth. There could be a sprouting that begins to spring up in your life. Job 33 and verse 3 says, My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. When your heart is right, and the Bible says that our lips will utter knowledge clearly, we will be able to speak clearly when we can think clearly. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if I'm thinking clearly, I can speak clearly. I can, I can speak knowledge clearly. Romans 1.20 says this, the invisible things of him talking about God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Revelation is seen. God is clearly seen if we can get a cleared mind. If we can drive back that cloud and have a clear mind, we can see God truly as he is. Next, God released thoughts with conviction in lifestyle. God released thoughts with conviction in lifestyle. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11, Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. Not to be repentant of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And for behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sorrow sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Conviction is worlds apart from condemnation. Condemnation knocks you down with intent to keep you down. It wants you to remain in the pit. There's no hope of coming out of the pit when you're under a spirit of condemnation. Remember the antithesis of drive out the thoughts of condemnation or condemning thoughts 
and God release thoughts of conviction in my lifestyle. Conviction, it almost sounds counterproductive or negative, but conviction is one of the most productive things. Condemnation is unproductive or unproductive. It will keep you in the pit of despair, but conviction gives you a hope out of that. And conviction will help you to get back on course in moving forward. Condemnation robs you of desire to live. Conviction gives you hope for better living. Now, both of them, conviction, condemnation, uh, both of them have an edge, if you will, to them. But one is redemptive. The other is destructive. They both sting a little bit. If you've ever been convicted, it hurts a little bit. Condemnation, it hurts a little, maybe a lot of it. And actually conviction, I've had conviction that hurt me a lot of it. But one is constructive, one is destructive. One is redemptive and the other is not. Conviction reveals with a purpose to heal. When God convicts me of something, I, he, he reveals the healing purpose behind it, of an area of growth or improvement, of holiness, of closeness, proximity to God. But condemnation doesn't, it doesn't reveal a purpose. Condemnation, basically, it strikes and it never provides correction. It's just insulting, insulting, insulting. It's never correcting, giving the right course of action. It keeps down. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. But if you've never had, and this is a common theme in our world today, as in an unhealthy parenting, and in dealing with people that have never had healthy parenting, um, that provide healthy correction, it can be confusing to be corrected by God or the man of God. Because you've never been dealt with that way. And so... That's when the, the devil enters into the scene to twist the correction or conviction and lead you into condemnation. What intended to be correction, what intended to be fixing, improving, and bettering, basically he sees that someone may not know how to handle it, so then he will attach himself to it, and it barrel you down the pit of despair. And so the last one here, God released thoughts of calm demeanor. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you an expected end. This is important that you can catch this, is that Knowing his thoughts will help your thoughts. If you know how God thinks about you, how God views you, it will help you to think properly. Because his thoughts are peace and purpose and expected end. There's a destiny. There's a destination. There is an arrival. And he will finish what he began. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, the, 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 like the condemning aspect, as we were talking about earlier, there's basically, it almost seems like there's no out of it. But if you know his thoughts, you see that there is an expected end. There's a finish line. There's a destination. There is a destiny. And so when, when you know his thoughts, it will help your thoughts to be calm, peaceable, relaxed, the absence of anxiety, just a nice, tranquil spirit of everything's okay. Though everything may not feel okay, I know his thoughts towards me. They are peace. They are an expected end. And knowing his thoughts has greatly helped my thoughts to be calmer. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. And when he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him and behold there arose a great tempest in the sea here's the storm the ship covered with waves and all the while jesus is asleep 
And the disciples come to Jesus and they wake him up saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And he responds to them, why are you so fearful? Ye of little faith. He arose. He rebuked the winds, the sea. And there was a great calm. The men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. And he said unto them, this is from Luke chapter 8, verse 25. In this scene, he asked this question, where is your faith? Where's your faith? Where is your faith vested in? And if your faith is in the right place, or fixated on his thoughts, his expected end, if you know where your faith is, if you're, and, and, and so like if you're, you're, you're stressed out to the max, anxiety, overwhelmed, fearful, you know, discouraged, depressed, whatever it is that is attacking the mind, say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's my faith? Why am I thinking this way? Because these thoughts are not his thoughts. Where's my faith at? Let me get my faith and put it back where it belongs and invest my faith in God. And so Jesus, the entire time he's sleeping through the storm, and you can sleep in the storm if you know who controls the weather and who's in the ship with you. You can have some sleep. You could have some peace. You can have a calmness about you knowing who controls the weather and knowing who is in the ship with you. Because the person in the ship with you is not another man. It's God. God is in this journey with you. God is with us in this process. Psalm 107, verses 23 through 31. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths, and their soul is melted because of trouble. God's the one in control of the sea, the depths of the sea, and the, the waves rising and the waves falling. And, and in this whole process, if you find yourself in those waters, you can find yourself overwhelmed. You can find yourselves fearful. You can find yourselves scared. Your soul melted because of the trouble. And it says here that they reel to and fro and they stagger like a drunken man. They are at their wit's end. And they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And when they cried to God in their trouble, God brought them out of their distresses. When they finally got them to the point where they cried out to him, God responded to them. God brought them out of their distress. And it goes on to say here that he makes the storm a calm. Out in the deep, out in the great waters where everything was just going up and down and wild, reeling to and fro like a drunkard. God in the most crazy place that you are in, the same waters that are throwing you around, the same waters that are causing fear, the same waters that are melting the soul, are the same waters you can find yourself calm in. Wow. God can bring a completely different emotion in the same water that you find yourself in when you cry out to him in your distresses. Verse 30, then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. You can be glad that God will bring you to your desired haven. It's heaven. God's, God's will is not for any to perish, but all to come to repentance and for all to be saved. And I know there are storms in the sea of life, but God wants to bring you to your desired haven. God wants to give you the desires of your heart, not just heaven, but your purpose here on earth. God wants to get you to that place as, as your current standing may completely or may seem completely different than the desired haven. God will turn it. God will 
calm it. God, calm me while my soul is melting. God, calm me in all my distresses. God, calm me. I'm at my wit's end. Jesus, let me be like you that in a storm I can sleep. I can find rest. I can find peace. Verse 31, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Two portions of scripture, and we're going to wrap up in prayer here. As we are praying a prayer for the mind. I hope, I hope this is maybe providing some, some clarity, some direction. Because sometimes we don't know how to pray. And yes, the Spirit makes intercession for us. But sometimes it feels good to pray in your own understanding with clarity. There's times like I don't know how to pray. I'm like, I'll just be like dialed into speaking in tongues for an extended amount of time. But it's like, God, I want to pray with authority in my understanding. I want to know what I'm praying at times. I want to feel like, like I know where I'm going in this prayer. Every now and again, God, I want to feel like you're the one that's ordering my steps. I want to feel like you're the one that is in control of the helm. Let me know. Let me feel what the Spirit would have me to feel and pray what the Spirit would have me to pray in my own understanding. Because, yes, it says pray in the Spirit, but it also says to pray in understanding. And hopefully this can be some trail, uh, guardrails for you along this pathway this year. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, we must cast down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You got to get a hold of that thought world and you got to bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, make these thoughts obey you. And they have to. They have to. Let God be true and every man a liar. I am going to grab this thought and I am going to present it to Jesus and say, Obey Jesus. Jesus, you are God, you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords. Thoughts obey Christ, and they have to obey. And then as we begin to drive out those thoughts, and we replace those thoughts with a new release, we don't have to be anxious, we don't have to be full of stress, we don't have to worry about anything, but in everything by prayer. Supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds, as we've been talking about these, connected. But it's done through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Church, pray down thoughts that arise. When you have a a, a thought is a thought. But when that thought begins to overtake you and it begins to consume you and you have that consistent clouded thinking in your prayer time or throughout your workday or if you have that, that constant condemning feeling or if you have a consuming thought prevailing throughout the day it's more than a thought it's spiritual we don't look for the devil under every rock but the devil will attach himself to something in your life and he'll basically feed it and increase it and that is how mentally we can collapse spiritually we can collapse and so pray down the thoughts that arise that are not of god and shut down the entrances of negative influences. And I've said it repeatedly throughout the year. When, uh, if, if you can find the access to your mind that's planting seeds of thoughts and feeding those thoughts, you got to cut it off. Social media, you got to cut it off. Uh, news, you got to cut it off. Whatever it is that keeps planting it, you got to shut off that entrance and have a prayer. That's right for the mind. Let's stand together. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to have 
a prayer for the mind. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that, God, you would drive back the thoughts that cloud my thinking. God, drive back the thoughts that condemn my mind. And I pray you drive back the thoughts that consume my head. Lord, I am sick and tired of letting these thoughts run reckless and wild and have this kind of jurisdiction. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I captivate, I capture every thought and I bring it into the captivity of Christ that it may obey you, Jesus. Lord, I forbid these things to be, Lord, roaming freely in my mind or in the minds of anyone in this church. God, you did not give us these thoughts. You did not give us these spirits. God, you gave us power. You gave us love. You gave us a sound mind. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, those that are struggling here with clouded thinking. I pray the winds of heaven would drive back the clouds and the fog and the haze. Lord, that cannot help someone think clearly and think straight. But I pray in Jesus name that there would be great clarity. I pray, Lord, for a cloudless day. I pray, Lord, for a cloudless day where the sun rises and it shines upon, Lord, the dew of the grass and it would spring forth new herb and new growth. I believe for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would liberate us from the thoughts that consume us, that overtake us, that overwhelm us. And I pray tonight, Jesus, that you would begin to release thoughts with clarity of mind. Begin to release thoughts, Lord, of conviction and lifestyle. Lord, I come against the condemnation of people in their living. And I pray, God, that you would replace condemnation with conviction. Lord, give them purpose and clarity, God. of what you're working and doing in their life and help them, Lord, to live a day-to-day life faithful, Lord, confident in you. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would release thoughts of a calm demeanor, God. You speak peace. Be still unto the storm. And in the same body of water where we have the emotion, Lord, of consuming thoughts of anxiety, you can give us calmness in the same body of water. You are God. You are in control. You rule. You reign. We trust you. We love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Let's thank the Lord together, God. We praise you. We magnify your name. We exalt you, King of kings. We bless you, Lord of lords. There's no one like you. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Mm. I worship you, Jesus. If you found this at all to be helpful and you would like the notes to it you just let me know text me whatever to pull me aside after service i'll I'll email it to you i don't have it word for word but just the outline of this lesson i'd be happy to give it to you if it would help you and i i i definitely felt a burden as i was putting the lesson together it was just it was just like uh you know those little nozzles that you could turn and shut off the pipe. I mean, I just feel like it was just a conduit of just, just flowing. And I believe that God was wanting to help a number of people here in this room. So you could have the right prayer for your mind this year. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus name.